You are listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast. My name is John Mahalik. I'm a seminary-trained author and speaker with over 25 years' experience encouraging others in the areas of spiritual life change and authentic relationship. My goal is to bridge the things of eternity with everyday experience. We're taking a break from the Belonging to Him series for the holiday season, and we'll pick back up with part two on January 17th. This week, you'll be hearing one of the sermons that I shared from a four-part Christmas series while pastoring a church in the country of Honduras. If this podcast encourages you and helps you, can I ask that you please write a review and leave a rating? It will simply help more people find the podcast who, like you, may be searching for more purpose and meaning. Thanks again for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. As Michael said, we are in week two of our Advent season, the time that we anticipate and prepare our our minds and our hearts for the coming of Jesus Christ, His birth during the Christmas season. And if you weren't here last week, we, we kind of touched on the, the idea that as adults, I think, uh, and I'll speak for myself, we get so hung up in, we look at the Christmas lights and the peace and the decorations and the, the beauty of the season, but we get kind of too locked into the stress of the season and the anxiety of the season, the commercialism and, and that kind of thing. And we also feel where the areas where we lack, we see all this time of fulfillment and blessing and celebration and, and see, and we compare our lives and say, well, my life's not exactly that way. And so the, the purpose of last week was really to focus, to found our lives, uh, not so much on the gifts of the season, of the presence that we could receive, those kinds of things, but to focus fundamentally on the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of God as it talks about in Ephesians 2. And so you'll, this week is going to seem maybe a little bit of a contradiction uh, to this because it was so, sort of about not focusing on the childlike desire for gifts but, but focusing on Jesus as adults. But I don't want to get away from the beauty and the power of taking a, a childlike view of the Christmas season because, again, most of us, uh, as children and the children that we, we have around us, they have a much better attitude about Christmas than, than many of us do. Uh, they have, they're more hopeful, they're more joyful, they're expectant, where we, we as adults may not put it into these terms, but we're like, all right, we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus was born again one more year. Uh, why are we doing this? And we get caught up and, and focused on so much of the wrong things. So this week, I really want to focus on having that childlike attitude when it comes to the season of Christmas, the, the, the spirit of Christmas. And, not, and again, we watch uh, all, the, all the holiday shows and the non-Christian holiday shows and the Hallmark Channel. And, and, it, and, it's, and it speaks of a, of a strong, good-feeling spirit of Christmas, but it's not really related to the biblical idea of Christmas, the expectation of Christ's coming. And so we have kind of this feel-good thing, but it's not really distinct. You know, you should have the joy of Christmas, but what does that 
exactly. You should believe. Well, believe in what? <laughs> and we're, we're not really uh, pulled in that direction for the sake of, you know, political correctness, the fact that there aren't Christians watching, so they want to appeal to everyone. So, but there is something in the spirit of Christmas, just this general feeling of Christmas. And how can we as, as adults really lock into the joy that we see in the lights and the trees and the and the presence and all that. How can we have more of a biblical understanding of that? And I would say the best way to have a biblical understanding of that is to focus on what it means to be a child, but also what does it mean to be have joyful expectation for for someone being born. So being born is something that usually for most people creates a lot of joy. When when we hear a birth announcement, that, that, that a friend, a sister, a relative, somebody is going to have a new baby, that's an exciting thing. That creates a lot of excitement for us. And why is that? What is that what, what, why is a new birth exciting to us? So I kind of want to kind of touch on that. And I, I grabbed from the Internet a, uh, a few uh, birth announcements uh, here's the first one. Please welcome our brand new miniature human, <laughs> Jackson Caleb. That's, that's a, they put these birth announcements out. Uh, here's another one. Free at last. <laughs> After nine long months, we welcome Jarvis Alexander. And at the bottom, it lists the parents as parole officers. I uh, thought that was cute. Uh, and then uh, I f- thought I'd throw up a few pregnancy announcements. Those are things that we send out. Here's a typical one. Here's the father, the older sister, and there's mom at the toilet. <laughs> We're pregnant. And the, the, here's the revenge one. Uh, we have the, and then the, she announces twins, and the husband is at the toilet. <laughs> here's a pregnancy announcement. Somebody found Will Smith in a coffee house and decided to use that as their pregnancy announcement. <laughs> But the announcement of a birth, of a new life, is something that excites us, right? There's lots of joy about that. And, and, I, and I ask that question, why is that? Why, why do adults and, and parents and, you know, mature, in-control adults just go crazy, not just when the baby is born, but <laughs> expecting the baby? It's, they, they, they lose their minds. So what is it about having children in our lives, the idea of a new birth, but just having children in general around us. Because unless we're unusual, I think it's very likely that, you know, Zola and I don't have kids, but most of our lives, we grow up as kids, we're, we have kids, and then we have, as, as you know, parents, <clears throat> then grandparents, most of us, unless we are real deliberate about it, have the, have the privilege of having children around us most of our lives. And what does that do for us? What is it about children that, that, that excite us, that, that give us a sense of renewal? Kids are just, they live in a different world than we do as adults, right? They have that sense, that, that melodious giggle, right? That belly laugh that they get, right? They, they have no boundaries, they, they, I mean, they, they have their tantrums, but, but so often they have a sense of just unbounded joy and imagination that you and I just don't have. We're not supposed to as adults. 
there, there's just this, this amazing amount of joy and silliness <laughs> that they have that, again, if we're all in control and mature and have everything all together, we're not going to demonstrate that, right? I was a, many years ago as a freshman in college and Again, don't have kids, but have, have been around kids. And my job as a freshman, as an undergrad, was working at a daycare center. So, you know, we worked for probably two to five-year-olds or something. And I remember, you know, I was 18, 19, trying to be very mature. And I remember one time where we played Duck, Duck, Goose. Um, and there's no way, if you're an adult participating in, the, in a game like Duck, Duck, Goose, that you can act mature and in control, you know. You, you've got to let it go if you're going to participate. You know, and so I was reminded that that there's some that there's something that was about childhood that I'd given up as an adult. You know, this this this, this inhibition, this sense of of hope, this sense of childlike faith that I'd given up. I'd forgotten about the fact that children just had this innocence about them, right? This this hope, no matter what is happening in their lives, that that being around kids actually reminds me of that, that there is a, a faith that I've kind of given up trying to be in control, that there's a sense of hope and a sense of innocence that I can have around me if I have kids around me. This is Linda Consini, David's wife, and uh, I'm sure there are different details, but Linda is up in Wisconsin, and she's been a longtime participant and member of the church. She was on the search committee that brought us down here. She is up Wisconsin, right, David? And, it, and I had to get this right. Uh, David is Babu, right? And she is Bibi. And, the, and they were the station in, was it Africa, Tanzania? That's where that came from. Uh, David is having a real tough time getting Linda to come back. <laughs> and I would say if you looked at this photo of the three-year-old and the four-week-old, uh, you can see why. <laughs> she ain't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about having children in our lives that, that fills us with this sense of life? You know, it's, it's not only do, do, they, do they rub off on us, but they give us a sense that life is new again, that, that there are second chances, that, that we can maybe live beyond our own life. Isn't that part of it? You know, having children gives us a sense that that we are going to go on, that, that we're going to have kids and grandkids and people and that our name's going to continue, that people that look like us are going to continue. It's almost a sense of immortality in a way. That in a sense, you know, apart from the biblical idea of being born again, we are born again when we have kids. And I think that's part of the expectation and the attitude that I want to have biblically when it comes to expecting the birth of Christ, the celebration of Christ's birth. God had a plan in the beginning, and that plan had everything to do with creation, had everything to do with birth, with life. That was his plan. It was all about life. And then even before we get to human beings, the very beginning, it says Genesis 1-2, <clears throat> the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
So out of nothing, God created something. Out of darkness, God created light. That was his plan from the very beginning. And then we get to people, and God blessed Adam and Eve, and he he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is, as far as I know, the very first command given to people, at least in, in, in the reading of Scripture. The first thing God said was, have more kids, right? Create more life. Be fruitful and multiply. That was his plan. Uh, Psalm 127, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of, re- the fruit of the womb of reward. So that is kind of where we're headed. What is your purpose? The purpose is life. The purpose is renewal. That's what God intended. Fill the earth. Create more life. I want more births. I want more babies. However, man fell. Man sinned. And one of the chief consequences of sin related to childbirth, related to this new generations of life showing up. To the woman, Eve, God says, after they ate the apple and everything, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And I think this relates we would assume, to the pain of labor. But I think it's also the fallout and the pain and the destruction of simply life itself. And one of the chief ways that that shows up, as we see in Scripture and as we see in our own lives from time to time, is barrenness. That many couples can't have kids. That 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 has been stopped, and in part, I think, by the fall that this idea, this, this idea that hope could be renewed in a newborn child is stopped or stifled or hurt by disease or different things in many people. So that was the problem that was created. But right at the, the moment of the problem that was created, we see also in Genesis, and it shows up actually in the verse previous, was God's solution. God's speaking to the, the serpent, the devil, and he says, I will put enmity, conflict, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Eve, and between you, your offspring, and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, there's different things we could talk about with this verse, but if you want to impress your your seminary friends at parties, you can use the term (laughs) proto-evangelium. It means the first mention of the gospel is what people say. Meaning, right after the fall, right after this time where life was stifled by sin, God has had a solution. And the solution was related to offspring, to the renewal of life. And so scholars will look at this and, and, and believe that this is probably the first mention, the first prophecy that Christ was going to come that there was going to be a baby born to solve this problem that's called sin and death. So it's probably, he's probably speaking about Eve, but many people will say that he's also speaking probably about Mary, the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, right? Jesus will bruise your head, right? You're going you're gonna to bruise his heel. So that was, that's a prophecy, the first, very first prophecy or projection of a new birth, 
So one way to look at the Old Testament is, is a series of new births. That we look at the New Testament as this kind of extended birth announcement of all these different generations and offspring leading up to the final offspring that would lead to you and I being born again, of having life. That's the beauty. It really opens up the New Testament if you look at it that way. That Jesus is prophesied. He is in in many ways existent throughout the generations of the Old Testament. That this expectation of this new birth, of this Messiah who's going to give us this life that we've lost, is throughout the entire Old Testament. That's the beauty of it. The, the beauty of, the, of God's prophecies that started in Genesis 3.15 was that there would be children of promise. And isn't that what we look to when, when a new birth is announced? There's, there's a sense of promise, of renewal. Something's going to begin again. We feel like we have a purpose again when there's a new child coming into the world. And that's what, Jesus, that's what God did in the very beginning when sin was introduced. He said there's going to be offspring. There's going to be children a promise. The genealogy of Jesus is, is the New Testament's kind of looking back at the Old Testament, saying, here are all the generations of babies that were born leading up to the birth of Christ. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, this is in Matthew, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then it goes on and it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of of Judah and his brothers, and it goes on through a few dozen generations through the Old Testament that were leading to the birth of Christ. And it ends with Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So this big long list of begats of generations are very powerful because there are a bunch of kind of birth announcements that, that through birth, through new life, God was gonna redeem the world. That's, that's the beauty of this. So why does Matthew start with Abraham? Why doesn't he go to, to Adam? If you look at Luke 3, I think, he also gives a, a, a genealogy, a list of people who are born. And he goes all the way back to Adam. Some people would say that a reason Matthew starts with Abraham is because probably with Abraham, this is the, the first time maybe after Genesis 3.15 that God declared this idea of new life and offspring in the form of a promise. And, and to Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so he's, you know, initially he's speaking of the nation of Israel. You guys will be blessed and you will be a blessing to others. He's giving this promise of generations, of new life to Abraham. He says, kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant, my promise between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant and an everlasting promise to be God to you and to your offspring after you. You you hear it. It's all over the place. This birth announcement, not just one birth, but many births. New life, new life, new life that is sealed in my promise that I will be a blessing to you and your people will be a blessing to others. So this is a continuation of God's prophecy 
So it wasn't just the nation of Israel, but kings would come from Israel, right? People like David, that would lead to the coming of the Messiah. He also says, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So that sounds real similar to Genesis 3.15, doesn't it? Right? He's going to crush your head. Right? You're going to bez- this, this offspring, and you can see it through the Old Testament, but ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, that he will possess the gate of your enemies, and there will be blessing. Now, with that birth announcement, there came joy. There was a joyful expectation, but it was sort of funny the way it first started. Sarah had joy when she first heard of this. Well, the reason Sarah had joy started out with unbelief. <laughs> she, she heard that she, as an 80, 90-year-old woman who had never had any children, was going to give birth to a child, right, with Abraham, and she laughed silently to herself. And she said, how could a worn-out woman like me <laughs> enjoy such pleasure, especially when my husband is so old? <laughs> That was, that was, her joy started out with kind of, are you serious, God? This is impossible. And then what does God say? God, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So the joyful expectation, I think it's maybe okay that we look at the world around us at the emptiness and the darkness, and maybe the emptiness and darkness in our own souls, and we were going, are you serious? Are you serious, God? How am I gonna, be, how am I gonna walk in new life? <laughs> I can't even tie my own shoes sometimes. You know, that's impossible. But God says no. Is anything impossible? Is anything too hard for me? And I think that required Sarah to maybe have a faith that is not too dissimilar from a three-year-old or a five-year-old. Do you really trust? Because isn't that something else that kids have, right? We see it. They just naturally trust that that we're going to take care of them. Not all the time, right? They have their bad moments. But that natural childlike faith is, part of that is the, the trust they have in their parents, Sarah had to kind of go through a process in her faith, but it did start out with laughter. When the child was born, Abraham called his son Isaac. Most of you know the name Isaac means laughter. Isaac means laughter. So the first fulfillment we see of that promise that God started out in Genesis, the the name of the kid they gave was laughter. It was joy. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Out of, out of my sorrow, out of my barrenness, right? God has made laughter. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. She had joyful expectation that started out as unbelief, maybe. But then she had joyful fulfillment. That was what the new birth in her life brought to her because of the promise of God. Isaiah 54, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of he who is married. 
And we see different barrenness stories in the Bible. Hannah is an example. Hannah is, is a person who was barren and eventually, because of the work of the Lord, gave birth to the prophet Samuel. And the prophet Samuel was a Nazarite. He was one who didn't eat or drink. He was to grow his hair long. And so this is also a prophecy of the New Testament coming of John the Baptist, who would herald the coming of Christ, right? Elizabeth was barren. She was old. And she gave birth to a son who would be a prophet, who would be a Nazarite, who would prepare the way for Jesus. So God had a plan. He had a plan that out of nothing, darkness over the deep, he would create something. He would create new life. And that's the spirit of faith that I want to have during the Christmas season. So not only barrenness, we have all this barrenness stories in the Old Testament. Finally, God did the absolutely impossible by creating life when there was no sexual intercourse. <laughs> Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, right? Isaiah 54's prophecy of Jesus. So out of nothing, right? It's one thing to be barren and have relations with your spouse and have a child through the gift of God, but this happened, <laughs> right? With no marriage, with no human being husband involved. A virgin shall conceive. Out of the nothingness and the despair and the darkness of our sin life, God created something. And not only something, but the appearance of himself to, to come and dwell with us and to save us. Mary shows up. She's, she's pregnant. And Elizabeth, who's about to have John the Baptist, is further along in her pregnancy. And we, we hear about the joy that they had in expecting these births, these new children. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John the Baptist, <laughs> leaped in her womb. <laughs> and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. God's plan of creation, be fruitful and multiply. You will have pain in childbirth. No, your offspring will crush the head of the one who has the power of death. That was the expectation, the joyful expectation of the coming of new life that Mary and Elizabeth had when Jesus was about to be born, when John the Baptist was about to be born. So, when we become Christians, we become born again of God's spirit. That's the, that's the ultimate hope that we should be looking at when it comes to our expectation of the Christmas season. But I also think it's, it's important for us to maybe be born again in our attitudes when it comes to Christmas. My, I, I will confess, I can have a horrible attitude about a lot of things, and I can have a horrible attitude about the, the season of Christmas. Why? Well, lots of reasons, sin, selfishness. But in one sense, it's because I'm trying to be too much of an adult. <laughs> I'm trying to be in too much control, right? And what I need to do is go back to being a child to some degree. Now, the Bible will, will tell us to grow up and be mature in different ways, stop being a child, become more mature. But the Bible also asks us to, to take on this heart of a child 
Jesus says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you need to become like one of these. You need to have the heart of a child to have that sense of expectation that is full of joy and hope, that dependence on God, that he is going to care for you, that he is going to bring you to a place that you're going to be full of thanksgiving and comfort and peace, no matter the darkness that's currently around you. We, we quoted C.S. Lewis last week. C.S. Lewis defines joy. He says, joy, with joy, the mere wanting is felt to be somehow a delight. And isn't that the way kids are at Christmas, right? Yeah, they, they want the presents under the tree, but that, you know, month, two months of, of Christmas season is a joy in and of itself. The mere joy of the expectation, right, is powerful. In some ways, I mean, personally, when, I, when, I, when my, I'm in my right mind and I really just live out the joy and hope of the Christmas season, Christmas Day is sort of a letdown because <laughs> it's over, right? All right, we got our presents, we've had our meal, but the, whole, the season itself has power. The season of expectation itself is in, in itself a fulfillment. But I think to do that, we need to go back to becoming children because that's what we are spiritually, right? We're born again, we're immature, we're to grow up. But to have children around us, right, those birth announcements, have young children, children growing up, never being apart from the heart of, child, of, of being a child, it's so important to our faith, to our sense of hope. God wants that to be around us. So we should do it in the physical sense. We should never not be around kids, but also spiritually. The coming of Christ, the new birth of this child, is something that should fill us with joy, knowing that God is going to create something out of nothing. I'm going to end with a portion of a Christmas hymn. It says, The earth has grown old with its burden of care. But at Christmas, it always is young. The heart of the jewel burns lustrous and fair, and his soul, soul full of music breaks the air when the song of angels is sung. So I can hear, here comes Santa Claus, and I can hear angels we have heard on high, and I can look at the lights and the trees and the expectations of presence and the warm feelings of meals and gatherings. And sometimes, I think because we have this war with Christmas between being secular and spiritual and Jesus is the reason for the season, we can miss some of that wonder, some of that warmth and hope that is just in the atmosphere of the Christmas season. We don't want to get, you know, too far to the side of the secular. We just believe, just hope the spirit of the season, where we don't really define it. But I think there's power to see that Christmas, in one sense, began all the way back in Genesis. The very moment that, that man and women sinned, right, God started his, his birth announcement, that there was going to be a coming Messiah to restore us, that we could live in the heart of one who is born again, full of renewed innocence, and hope, that we can give up the control and the anxiety of trying to always be an adult <laughs> and be in control, 
that we can immerse ourselves in the same way that Linda and other people, when a baby is around us, they kind of rub off, off on us, don't they? We can become that child again. We can have that hope that with new life, there is immortality, that, that we will live on, right? Not just with physical children, but spiritually with Jesus, because he came that we might be born again. Not just spiritually, but in every part of our attitude and in our hope and faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the gift of your Son is something to, that should humble us. And I thank you for the, the fact that despite our weaknesses and our, the way we can tw twist the season around, that your light shines through. That even when we have the, a poor attitude or a sense of faithlessness or an anxiety that means that we want to control our lives and not allow you to, that your spirit still des descends on upon our hearts and reminds us that we are children <laughs> and that the expectation of the Christ child should remind us that we can go back to being a child and therefore move forward in our faith for you. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, you know the burdens that everyone is carrying and the anxiety and the fears and the, the insecurities and the hopelessness. And Lord, I just ask that you infuse every soul this morning with a renewed hope, a renewed sense a joyful expectation and a renewed strength to honor you and to celebrate the fact that with your birth, we can celebrate our new birth. I pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'll close in 2 Peter 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Have a great week. This podcast is produced by Embrace What Matters Ministries and is available most anywhere podcasts can be found. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and please leave a comment or send me an email. To learn more about this ministry, my devotional book, and other writings, please visit EmbraceWhatMatters.com.